G'day, I'm Morgan Evans, and welcome to Selkirk OnServe, a pickleball podcast presented by Selkirk Sport. With interviews and insights, news and announcements, we're here to take the pulse of pickleball. Before we get started, if you enjoy this podcast series, and I hope you do, I mean, why would you be listening if you didn't? Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes so we can continue to promote the sport of pickleball to a widespread audience. Today's guest has enjoyed a very interesting journey. He's gone from being a professional tennis player to tennis instructor. A lot of people have done that. Now he's an avid pickleball player. A few other people have done that. He's also a highly regarded mental performance coach. So this is the perfect topic for many of our esteemed listeners. It's my great privilege to welcome Coach Dane Gingrich. Morgan, how you doing, buddy? Appreciate uh, appreciate being on your show, buddy. Super pumped. Great to have you on. It's uh, this is going to be an exciting one. I've been looking forward to this one for most of the morning. Um, I think the mental side of the game. This is the holy grail for performance. Uh, something that not many athletes in pickleball certainly, and I think. Uh, in a lot of professional sports, aren't taking seriously enough. Um, so it's a great pleasure to have you on the show to talk us through a little bit of what about what you do, who you do it with, and hopefully give our listeners um, something to take away to help them with their game. So just to get started, you had a career first as a professional athlete, a professional tennis player, and then a tennis instructor. Could you yeah. talk to us a little bit about um, how that all started? Yeah, like, you know, I, I grew up with my dad, you know, talking, he was an athlete, my mom was an athlete, and we, 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 right from the get-go, right, I remember he and I talking about the mental performance, you know, I don't know if he called it that, but he always asked me, you know, what separated the greats from the goods, right, like, what was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, what was their deal, why, why were they different than the rest coming up, and he implemented, right, he embedded that, that piece of the physicality is important, but the mentality takes you to that next level, right? And I always kind of remember training with that in high school and, and then moving on, playing professional tennis, um, doubles specifically, right? Like my, my singles game wasn't big enough. So my doubles game, I really kind of specialized in that and kept going out and trying to grind on the Challenger Tour, right? Had some really good wins and would kept getting hurt. So I kept going out and then I would teach to pay for that grind. As you know, the grind that it is, right, as a, as a professional athlete and before you before you reach that top tier level where everything's being paid for and you are grinding your face off. So I would, I would go from challenger back to teaching challenger, get hurt, go to teaching. And, and eventually my injuries were just, it become, it, it became apparent Morgan that <laughs> I was not supposed to play full time, right? Like I was supposed to teach. So as you know, a lot of professional athletes do, I fell into the, the teaching of the tennis piece and then quickly kind of like, I don't know, I don't know if it was five, six years down the road, I, I was starting to get bored with the physical aspect alone and the mechanical piece mm. that most all the teachers were were basing performance on. And and I kind of, you know, I'd always kind of lived with and talked with my dad about that next level thing, right, that he introduced when I was super young. And I just said, you know what, like I wasn't seeing the growth of my students and students around me, you know, rising enough. And I said, you know what, let Let's just switch it. Just let's just experiment and switch it and start working on the mental piece. Just what I know as an athlete, right? What whatever that means. And I saw an in like an immediate uptick 
in performance. They were having more fun. They weren't as stressed. They weren't so overly focused on mechanics and strategy alone. And it just kind of like, like out of nowhere, Morgan, just kind of clicked that wow, this, this is like, this is the secret. How do I implement the mental piece mm. and align it with the physical? Obviously we need it, right? We need the mechanics. We need the physical training. We need all the strategy. But, but if you look at, if you look at all the elite athletes, right, that, that, that are breaking records that are in the hall of fame, like it, it is because of how they perform in the biggest moments, right? And that mm. comes down to the mental, right? That comes down to their mindset. So it, it just happened by accident that I started working just with my tennis students alone with the juniors first, and then I kind of segued into the adult programs as well, just experimenting with what I knew from the mental performance aspect. And when I saw the uptick, it just kind of hit me. This is the secret. And as I started you know, working with these kids more and more, like 70, 30 mental, other parents from other clubs and other places around Southern Cal where I grew up were calling me and wanting me to help their kids on the tennis, you know, on the junior tennis circuit with their mental game because they had X problem. And out of nowhere, Morgan, like two years later, I had a business. Like 06, I quit my gig as a teaching pro at the, at the club I was at and I officially launched almost by accident, like the mental performance thing. And, and I, then I just dove all in an amazing amount of mentors and studied like crazy and, and really just, it just kind of happened by accident. Huh. Right. And now, and now it's 2019 and, and we're just rolling. So it's 13 years on and imagine, you know, you seem like someone who's constantly interested in education and, and I yeah. love, I love that expression. You know, once you stop, stop learning, you stop leading. Um, Yes. And, you know, if you're able to keep getting out there and learning. Now, when you say um, you're continuing your education, is it just kind of trial and error? Um, are you just researching different things that have worked through other professional athletes? Um, yeah, so, so, so yeah, that's, and that's a great question, right? Because everybody asks, right, are, are you a PhD? Did you go? And I had, I had a moment, right, because I had people telling me, look, you've got to go get your degree now, right? Like, you, you've got to be Dr. Gingrich, right? Because it's going to open more doors. It's got a nice ring to it, i got to tell you. It does. You know, it's, you can call me Dr. Gingrich if you like. Why not? Right? Why like, not? I, I, I won't stop. Okay. Like, as a matter of, in the title, I think it should be Dr. Gingrich. Like, wow. Let's just lie to us. Yeah. Hey, why not? So, so as I was, you know, my gut was telling me, though, that I didn't want to go that route. I knew it would be longer. And, and so I decided, I'm going to go talk to, I'm going to go talk to a really famous golf psychologist here in Southern Cal. Like he's, he's globally known. I was playing a lot of golf. And I wanted to pick his brain, not as a coach, but as a player. I wanted to see, you know, as Mr. Dr. So-and-so, right, the big PhD guy, if this was the play for me. So I sat down with him, had a conversation about me as a golfer, not as a coach. Mm. And as he was giving me the information, Morgan, I could tell he didn't know. Like he knew the words, right? Mm. But I could tell he didn't feel me as an athlete and understand the stresses that I was asking him about. Mm. And it was in that moment that I decided, you know what, degrees are great, like you can go that route, but it wasn't for me. And I wanted to keep my authentic athletic voice and just work harder at it. So I just went in and researched as much as possible on how the brain worked, how habits change, how how just the mental performance. You know, like I said, I got a couple of really good mentors and, and I just went and studied it as much as I could, kind of committed to the long game of it rather than trying to get my feet in 
really quickly. And as painful as it was for the first bunch of years, right? Because mm. it, it, it's paid off because I've kept my voice. I have the information I need, but I, I come with this really specific style that is just me. And, you know, it's, it's easy to say now, 13 years later, that I made the right decision. But I tell you, like in the beginning, it was a grind. And it was, and I doubted, and and it was it was tough, but as, you know that's another lesson, right? Yeah, oh, exactly. And I think if you, <laughs> if you if you're not grinding, if if you don't work hard for something, then when you do finally achieve it, you're not going to appreciate it as much. Um, right. You know, it's right. it's, it's, it's and the, if you do it for others, right? If you if you you create somebody else's style, then it's truly not yours, anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. They say uh, they say good artists borrow, the best artists steal. Um, (laughs) but in this, uh, in this case, it's, it's great that you found a a kind of a unique voice. Um, and I've always found that when you're coaching someone, whether what you're saying is 100% right or not, if you can convey, convey, you know, and a huge amount of belief in what you're saying, um, and your student comes away knowing 100% that this is the way, and they go into the practice of, whatever you've been trying to teach them, whether it was physical or mental, um, then their chances of success going all in are, are greatly enhanced versus, well, look, it's a pretty good chance you'll you'll do well if you try this. But, you know, I'll be honest with you. I never really tried it. I'm not quite sure. And I think for you, coming from professional tennis, um, you know, that helps a lot with the kind of credibility uh, that you'll bestow um, in your students. So that's... It, it, that's a phenomenal point, right? Like you, your students mirror your belief, right? And, and, and also you said, give them the right information, right? There are, what is the right information, right? The right information is their information and what works for them and what triggers them, their different motivations, right? Mm-hmm. So even the correct information that you give Tyson might be the incorrect information you give somebody else, Certainly. right? Because you know, you know him and you know what moves him and what, and what triggers him and, and, and he trusts you and everything you say, you're like, hell yes. Like, and so he's going to mirror your, your belief system. And, and that's the, that, that is the piece I think to coaching that is often goes kind of not talked about enough. Right. I believe it's more of a, more of an art than it is a science, right? Because it's, everybody is different and how you convey the perfect quote, perfect information is going to be different from student to student. Yeah. And understanding that, you know, what you're saying and how it's received by the other person might often be two totally different things. Um, and unless right. you can kind of say the same message in, you know, in four different tongues, um, you're often falling on deaf ears. Um, but what, right. you, what you say about belief is, is huge. And I, I use a, um, a classic story with a lot of my students when talking about belief or often lack thereof. Um, and I'll be curious if you've ever heard this. Did you know up until I think the mid 1800s, um, most of the world thought tomatoes were poisonous? Everybody believed essentially that tomatoes are poisonous, um, and they were even given the name poison apples. Now, never in the history of mankind have tomatoes actually been poisonous. All that was happening was there was a new kind of plate that was being used um, in Europe from the 1500s or so on through. The 1800s, it was made of pewter, and it was mixing with the um, acid in the tomatoes, and people were getting lead poisoning, and they were dying um, from lead poisoning, not the tomatoes. But people didn't know that at the time, so essentially the entire planet believed that tomatoes were poisonous. 
So everybody operated in fear of these, you know, what we now know as to be very safe and nutritious uh, fruits, um, often thought as vegetables, but it's a lovely fruit. Um, <laughs> yes. And I think about that kind of thing every time I go on the court and I realize that I'm about to play someone that, that I personally don't believe I, I can beat based on history or for whatever reason or me looking at them against other people. Um, and I think of it sometimes when I'm going on court against someone who maybe someone else has told me, hey, you got to watch out for that guy. Line calls are, line calls are dodgy. Um, right. Be careful. I think he's, I think he's a cheater. And I'll go onto the court with this you know, pre-existing belief that this person's about to cheat, um, and right. I'll, it, it will take away from my attentional resources, uh, and that's to my own detriment because I've believed in something that isn't perhaps there at all. Um, right. But my, I've, I've got kind of blinders on or. Um, rose-colored glasses, or <laughs> maybe not rose, violet-colored glasses. Huge. Yeah, it's huge. It, it, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's like the, the word belief, right? And I know you, you obviously you speak to your students about it, and I do as well. Like, right, how do we learn to believe more? Like, how do we incorporate our belief into our game, right? And it's, it's a really difficult question to answer outside of, number one, it's a choice, right? Like, you either believe in your capabilities or you do not. You either believe in, and, and the path I like to take is let's not believe we're gonna win or lose. Right? Like let's lose, let, let's just ditch the whole outcome thing. Let's believe in A, how we've trained, right? That belief is is going to be compounded based on how you train before you even step onto the tournament court, right? If you haven't prepared or you haven't trained, like, like you can be as physically talented as you want, but your belief probably isn't going to be at the level you need it. Mm. So first, let, let's choose how we prepare, right? When I say belief is a choice or even confidence is a choice, I mean it's a choice to train a certain way. And then it's a choice to – and we make a specific a decision. I'm walking on the court as far as belief goes that no matter what happens, right, like you won't break me. Like that's a belief. That's that's not has nothing to do with win or lose. Has nothing to do with my physical skill. I may win or I may not win the match, but I won't mentally break. And and I think, you know, as you were talking about the tomatoes, like how we walk on the court, the decisions we step onto the court with is ultimately going to dictate a our confidence levels, but then mm. b our physical outcome, right? Not the outcome, but our physical decisions and the outtakes that we that we create on court. Right, but that that belief thing, like, what do we believe in, Morgan? When we say like belief is a choice, what are we believing in? Right? A, I'm preparing my ass off, and B, no matter what happens, like you just won't mentally break. And and when we kind of step on the court like that, A, that builds confidence, and confidence compounds into better strokes, right? And mm. better strokes gonna gonna hopefully lead you to a better outcome yeah i love the top i love the topic and it's so different from athlete to athlete definitely I, I mean i think a lot of people would say belief and confidence are kind of synonymous um yeah and it, for me confidence and success they are the the real kind of chicken and the egg of high performance um obviously right. having confidence in your in yourself your abilities um will help you have Success. If you have success, you have a reason to be confident going into the next one. Um, you know, which one came first? What, what, what would you say is the kind of which is the chicken, which is the egg? Which one should should people really be focusing on? Trying to either, you know, fake it till you make it and 
try to go in there with confidence so you have a chance to get success to then start the nice snowball effect of um, having more confidence or do you wait until that shining moment where you actually beat uh, a player perhaps you didn't think you were able to beat and then you uh, you kind of let it trickle on there organically? Yeah, so I, I believe, like it's a great question, I believe if you wait, you're going to wait forever. Right? Like you got to make a decision, right? Kobe Bryant back in the day, fun story with him, he's in high school, his He's 14, I guess, and his, his counselor asked what he was going to do you know, when he got older, right? And he said, I'm going to be one of the best NBA players of all time. And the counselor said, no, 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 like, no let's be realistic. I, like, what are you going to do after, you know, if you don't make it? He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I'm 14, I'm 15, I'm going to be the, one of the best of all time. That was a level of belief before he was good enough to, quote, believe, right? And, and, mm. and that's kind of the, the lens I want to help athletes look through i want you to believe you're that good before you're actually that good and then that decision alone helps to grow the confidence which then compounds into the physical stuff right like we can train we can we can practice our mechanics and our dinks and our curves all we want but if like you said if i walk onto the court against x opponent and i believe even though i've trained i believe that that guy just has it over me mm. right then then the training is almost wasteful Mm. Right, because the physical doesn't dictate the mental. It's always it's always the other way. So, right? Like the mindset yeah. dictates how we perform. And, and I think the foundation here, Morgan, is when we talk about mental toughness or mental dominance, what is that? It's simply the ability to find a way to perform your biggest within the biggest moments. That and, is not that's not a physical thing. Like we look with our eyes and all of a sudden, wow, he made an incredible third in the biggest moment. But it was, it, it was his belief system that, that began that process. It was his understanding and his vision, right, his intention, that in order for me to take it to another level and play with guys like Morgan and play with guys like Tyson, those two together are monsters together on the court. Like, in order for me to beat those two, I have to play my biggest in the biggest moment. Yes. I, believe, like, I believe confidence grows from a decision that just simply says, like, I'm, I believe before I'm good enough to. That's kind of delusional. You kind of have to be yeah. insane a little bit. You kind of have to have people think that, who, who, who do you think you are to talk like that, right? And the winning and the losing kind of have nothing to do with it. Yeah, look, I, I think if you, uh, if you show me a, an incredible athlete who's reached the pinnacle of their sport for any length of time, who isn't um, at least somewhat uh, arrogant in you know, in some ways or shape or form, then, you know, I'll just show you someone who's got a great PR guy. Um, that's, that's right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it, it must be impossible. And, you know, the players, the, the Federer's, the Woods of uh, the Michael Jordans of this world, um, you know, they've got to be forgiven for the occasional slip-up where the fact that they've been living in their own shoes as you know, for them, the greatest of all time or being told that time and time again, um, it's got to get to you eventually, right? There's, yeah. no, there's no one who can who can live like they are just the kid next door um, while going through that kind of life. I mean, it, it must be, I would imagine, quite, quite difficult. Um, maybe not impossible. Um, all right, so backing up just, just a tad, your your thoughts about the the real thing that separates the men from the mice, so to speak, um, are how people perform in the biggest moments when the pressure is real. 
Um, and I've long since said and have been told that pressure is a privilege. Um, yeah. And, you know, others say pressure makes diamonds. Or sometimes it's yeah. just a lump of coal. But <laughs> is that something whereby you feel like enough mental training and almost uh, tricking the brain into believing success is already inevitable and is already achieved and therefore you you are now having the belief that you can do it or is it just um, a sheer amount of repetitions of getting into those those moments where it is make or break this is it this one shot or this one point and how well i you know perform here and now is going to dictate everything when you feel that that rush of adrenaline and the pressure is getting to you and either you come away flying colours, or you know you 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 fall like a house of cards. Um, is it yeah. just going through that that moment again and again and again until you you know figure it out and you get through the other side? I know that's what it was so like I, for me. Yeah. Uh, did you say that's what it? Yeah. Was about for you is that you just repped it, repped it, repped it? Well, yeah. Honestly, when um, I I never played the level of tennis that you played. I never played any sport to the kind of level um, that a, a challenger level tennis player is experiencing. Um, so the kinds of pressure I was going through was, you know, sort of a division one, um, if I was lucky, tennis, uh, club tennis, or, you know, for a high school, and, um, you know, a little bit of rugby right. back in the day. But it wasn't, right. you know, it was nothing to the extent that a lot of the players I'm competing against went through. Um, so right. I, I never really felt huge amounts of athletic pressure, uh, mental uh, pressure on an athletic environment until, yeah, I really started um, doing well enough in in the bigger pickleball events um, where there was, you know, crowds and people watching on, you know, computer screens or phones from different parts of the world. That's <laughs> that's when I, that's when I realized, oh, I'm actually not as good under pressure as I thought. Um, and I remember yeah. buckling uh, against Scott Moore and Brian Ashworth for uh, it was a bronze right. medal match in my first U.S. Open, and I'd never felt Marson. yeah, Marson. me and Marson yeah. and I and I I went back to him, uh, Marson uh, afterwards, and we were both so we were just ruined. We'd lost, we blew yeah. a lead or something like that, and I and I tried to throw him under the bus. I said something like. Marcel, I, I didn't feel your energy out there. Where was your energy? And and and. <laughs> but but I realized within about thirty seconds that I, I was just deflecting the fact that I just felt so guilty, so bad for my own performance out there. And I immediately apologized, and um, you know we hugged it out. We yeah, we had a good bromance going there. Um, <laughs> I remember that man. I remember. Don't talk to me, man. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't touch me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I mean, but that is, and I'm so glad you mentioned it because I wasn't going to. No, I'm just joking. I'm so <laughs> glad you mentioned it because people look right, like the common three O or the three five player that that thinks that he or she is just going through it all by, and like Morgan never feels that right. Like Morgan's never given up a lead. He's never kind of wilted under under the stress. Like those guys never do yeah. it, right? Like Ben Tyson would never do that, right? And yeah. and and. and it's phenomenal that you would be transparent like that because listen, I don't care who you are, stressors, the stress of the biggest moment have, have have grabbed everybody, right? So it's it's a 
after you know you and Marston lost the lead and you ended up losing the match, like the, the question of my f- two favorite words, right, to my athletes when they talk to me about I have this and I lost this and I, I don't care about all that. Like I really don't even care. What I care about is now what, right? Like answer me that question. Now what, right? So you blame Marston here in the first second and then you guys hugged it out and put some stuff on yourself and you own some things, right? Now what is the answer? Mm-hmm. While a while you're going through the pressure moments, right? Like. Now, like, you can feel yourself tightening up. Let's call a timeout or simply to yourself, how do I want to respond? Like, now what in this moment, right? And, and then post-match, now what? How do I want to respond after this huge loss, right? We've all been up 10, 5, 6, 7 in loss. All of us have. In, in every sport, we've all had leads and loss. But the great ones that we know about, they answer the question confidently and powerfully, right? Where others that we don't, they... They say, okay, I'm going to keep out. I'm going to come back and fight. And you never hear from them again. Yeah. And they throw in the towel. Yeah. So during during the pressure, right, like you asked, how do we – yes, I believe in repping it out, right, the pressure coming back to your original question. Yes, you have to rep. Like there's you can't sit in front of the TV, read a book, eat bonbons, and hope to get better at anything. So you've got to throw the reps in there. But even before the reps begin, even – you even – maybe you didn't even know it, right, Morgan? But, but you're here and you – been this good for so long so the answer has to be yes you first have to love like and love isn't even strong enough embrace isn't strong enough you have to want to be in those moments you don't want 11 3 11 3 you want the 14 14s you have to want the biggest moments you have to want and love like pick on me like don't go to pick on me because if you pick on me you're getting another ball back like, so I, I believe before the reps even start, before the, the micro details of how to do it, like you have to be so in love with the biggest moments because if you're not, it doesn't matter how you rep. It doesn't matter where or what you do to train because you can be a phenomenal practice player or a rec player, but when the biggest moments under the biggest lights at nationals come, if you don't love to be there, you've wasted your training. Yeah. Right? So I believe it all goes back to con- like not even convincing yourself, but making a decision, just choosing. You only get two choices. I either am going to go into every match and beg for a 15-15 game every game, and I'm going to beg to be picked on, or I'm going to hide. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, there's not a third option, right? And when you make that choice, Morgan, then we can go rep all the stuff. Then we can go rep all the details. Then we can come out and... No pass or fail, right? I did it well, I didn't. I got lots of art. But before that initial decision is made, like all the other stuff is just, you're just going around in a, in a hamster wheel. Ah, that's, that's a lovely way to look at it. Um, for me, I didn't, um, I didn't know what was ever going to be my, my favorite part of a tournament. Um, and it took a while to realize that, you know, the... The times where um, I feel the the excitement, the joy of a great win, um, you know, those are going to be the few and far between. But I realized to a very a very close second for me was it always came around about two days after the tournament finished, and I, it's it's the moment, and it's a tournament that I didn't win. Um, all the tournaments out there that I never even medaled, uh, two days after I've come back home licked my wounds is is the greatest time for me because 
every single time and it's never not happened, um, I'll sit down with my own thoughts and sometimes I'll watch videos, sometimes I won't, but I'll just relive um, the, the, <laughs> the agony of defeat um, yeah, to, the yeah. point, to the point where it inspires me um, to a level that, you know, this drawing board gets another rundown and yeah. I, I really go through in my head, what is it going to take? Um, is it possible? Yes, it's possible. What is it going to take? What have I got to do right now? What have I got to do today and tomorrow that the other guy isn't doing? Um, and as long as I've, I've, I've made that commitment to myself that I'm prepared to make this change or this change or work harder on this or this, um, and sometimes it's just as simple as, all right, I've got to make the, make the promise to myself to go and find different um, hitting partners. For a long time, me and Marcin were just drilling with each other and we were getting just better at playing against each other. Um, not, yeah, yeah, right. not necessarily better than uh, better at playing other people. Um, and for me, yeah, it's, it's that moment where uh, I'm out and defeated, but I have a plan. And then I get to work and the anticipation of the next tournament and all the, you know, the hard work going into, um, you know, up to about three or four days before a tournament where I can start to taper off a little bit and just focus on diet and whatnot. Um, those are the most enjoyable parts. Well, we've really dived into a lot of great topics regarding mental performance there. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for in today's episode. Tune in next time, we'll pick up with Dan Gingrich. Thank you.